Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Turn your Bibles in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah 2, and most most of us know, most people know, the theme of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall, right? That's kind of the theme. It's the main message, if you will. There's tons of, of things that we can glean from that, this book. It's a radical book. It's got lots of, lots of things that we can extract from it. But today we're going to talk about walls. Walls are important, Right? How many of you live in a structure with walls? Right, we all do. We all live in a structure with walls. And there's a reason for them. They, they protect us. They shelter us. They, they protect our stuff, our family. They, they, they give us a sense of identity. There's lots of things that walls do for us. And so a wall in a city is which, you know, that the, the wall that Nehemiah was dealing with was the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Um, you know, it was designed and built to protect the city from attacks from without. That's one of the main purposes of walls. You know, if you live somewhere, I have, I don't have a wall, I have a fence around our property. Why? Well, to keep certain things out, like coyotes, you know, I don't want coyotes on my property and I don't want random strangers just walking up, you know, and doing whatever random strangers might want to do on our property as well. So we put these things up for protection. We do them for, you know, they, they serve lots of different purposes. As we talk about Brother Dale, da sorry, yes. Dallas. I knew that. As we look at men, one of the things that we see is the reality that, that the walls of manhood in many cases have fallen. There's lots of reasons for that. You know, we just went through something recently the 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 not the pandemic the pandemic was for most people a non-event but the reaction the overreaction to the pandemic created so much damage that i think we will be decades before we unpack all the damage that the the way that people re overreacted to the pandemic should there have been a reaction? Yes, of course. There was a pandemic. We needed to react to it. But they went way too far. And one of the damages, one of the things that we see is that isolated men, which, which men will tend toward that, that 
choice anyways, right, Kevin? If, they, if you give a man an opportunity, he may very well isolate himself, get caught up in himself, in his things, in his drama, in his issues, and he will isolate himself. Well, the, this made it okay. The, the response, it made it okay for men to isolate themselves. And then when, when the overreaction went away, they, many of them stayed isolated. More men are reporting feeling lonely than really ever before. Even men who are busy doing things are expressing a sense of loneliness. Now you add to that, gosh, so many other things going on in our world, the, the, the gender ideology mafia who is doing everything they can to confuse and dilute the idea of what a man is. There's a proliferation of crime and drugs, pornography, that's eroding the foundation of our wall. The media is actively glorifying things that tempt men away from godly manhood. And I think one of the most damaging of all is the absence of fathers in the home. That is an absolute tragedy. It's not new. It's been going on for a long time. Men are struggling. Now, they may be successful in life. They may be successful in business. They may be successful in whatever they're doing. But they're struggling spiritually, emotionally, relationally. As we talk about the theme of, of Nehemiah, is that Nehemiah hears that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The temple's been rebuilt, but the wall is broken down. It remains a ruin. Well, we need to remind ourselves that's not new news, right? Yeah, we, it's interesting if you're, if you, I don't actually, the okay, I see one Bible open. So everybody's else on devices. Yeah, I, I know. But if you were in your Bible and you looked at where Nehemiah is in the Bible, it puts it up, you know, in the, in the first third of the, of the Old Testament. And so it kind of, it kind of confuses you about the timing of it because it's not clear in that, but the timing of it, the chronologically it belongs almost at the end of the Old Testament, chronologically. And so the, the, the city of Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians in about 586 B.C. Nehemiah shows up about 445 B.C., 140 years later. So the wall has been down a long time. Is that anything we need to deal with? Okay. Let's pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king, I is Nehemiah. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. 
So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? You know, one of the things, you know, I, one of the things that I, I try to teach when I'm doing Bible studies and things like that is if you really want to dig into the word of God, you've got to learn to ask good questions. You have, to, you have to look at the text and ask as many questions about that text as you possibly can. The more questions, the better questions you ask, the more likely you are to dig down into the depths of what that verse is trying to teach us. Why was this such a burden for Nehemiah? He's in Babylon. He's, he's, he brings wine to the king, which means he's in this position that, you know, he's doing, he's pretty well off. He's doing very well in life, very comfortable life that he has there in Babylon. Why is this an issue? Another question is why hadn't someone else done this? Why hadn't someone else realized that the walls of Jerusalem are down and decided to do something about it? Well, here's the answer to that question. I don't have an answer to those questions. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us why. You know, maybe God caused others to feel what Nehemiah feels and they just didn't respond. That's possible. Or maybe this is just when God decided to do it. David and I have been talking recently and, and talking about the, the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And, you know, that's a, a fascinating conversation and you can dance around that circle forever. They don't know. You know, maybe this has happened to you. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, Chris, when Chris and I were talking. You're going along and... and and you come across scripture, you read a scripture, read a scripture, you read it over and over and over again, over again, and then, and, then, and then all of a sudden, God reveals to you something out of it that you'd never seen before. And you think to yourself, well, why didn't I get that years ago, decades ago? Why am I just seeing that now? Or, or someone will share something. That they'll, they'll, they'll speak something into your life. They'll, they'll encourage you, exhort you. They'll, they'll you know, rebuke you in some way. And you're thinking, well, I should have known that forever ago. Why am I just now getting it? Well, maybe you weren't listening. That's a possibility. Maybe it's been said lots of times. Maybe you just weren't listening. Or maybe God just decided that now is the time. And you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't even matter. What matters is what you do next. When you do realize, okay, now I heard God. Now what? Now what do I do? Nehemiah chose to act. The wall was down, been down for a long time. The people in Jerusalem probably walked by that wall, that broken down wall, day after day after day after year after decade, and just it became invisible to them, right? Have you, rec have you ever seen that? Something is, something is in your life and it really needs to be fixed. But you know what? You don't get to it. You don't get to it. You don't get to it before long. You don't even see it anymore. Nehemiah sensed, I 
must go and do something. Skip down to verse 11. So I, Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And when I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire, then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So Nehemiah goes out and surveys the work. And, and here, guys, is something we need to acknowledge We need, to, we need to check our hearts. We need to check our walls. Because we may be just like the people living in Jerusalem at the time that Nehemiah showed up. Our walls are down. They're a mess. They're charred, burned stones and weeds and piles of rubbish. And we just walk right on by it. We need to examine ourselves with, with critical eyes to see, are, are there walls in our life that are broken? I'm going to talk about what the wall is a little bit later. But is, are they broken down? Are there gaps where the enemy can get in? You know, Jerusalem's wall was a mess. It was so bad. There were places where he couldn't, even, he couldn't even travel. It was so broken down, so overgrown, such a mess. I mean, we can't even imagine what it would be like after 140 years of neglect. And too often, when we examine our lives and examine the walls of our lives, we underestimate what needs to be done. Nehemiah could tell it was going to take a little bit more than spackle and paint to fix this situation. It was going to take an all-out effort to do this. And it was not something he was going to be able to do alone. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in now, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. That's a, that's a key thought there. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me and also the king's words that he'd spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah believed that God was telling him to do this. And, and the evidence was pretty clear that was true. He also knew that he wasn't going to be able to do it alone. Obviously, there's no way Nehemiah was going to be able to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem by himself. He was going to need everyone. He needed everyone to rise up. And it wasn't going to be free of conflict. If you read the rest of Nehemiah, you know that he, there was all sorts of conflict going on. All sorts of enemies conspiring to stop the work or hinder the work. 
But Nehemiah was resolute. He was, he was absolutely certain of what he was, was supposed to do. And he set his mind to it and he did it. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. It says this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. The wall had laid in ruins for 140 years. And when God moved, they built it back up again in 52 days. For 140 years, about 70 of that with people back in the city of Jerusalem, the wall was down. A continual reproach, a continual, if you will, insult to their, to their character, to their, to their faithfulness to God. It continually reminded them that they had been rebellious and disobedient. Maybe none of them personally, but their ancestors had been. A continual reproach. And guys, and, and this, the, the really the, the thing that kind of grieves my spirit about an account like this, they may not have been aware of it. They may not have even been aware of the reproach. They may, it was just the way things were. And guys, we need to we need to recognize if we're not if we're not doing the hard work of examining our walls, checking our walls, making sure there are no gaps, making sure they're they're strong and fortified, then we may be in the same place where we are absolutely oblivious to the reproach of our life. That as people look at our lives, what should they see when they look at our lives? Or let me rephrase that better. Who should they see when they look at our lives? Christ, right? And if our walls are down, they're not seeing Christ. But we're claiming the title Christian. That's a reproach. If what they see and what we are are not the same, that's a reproach. Not just against us, but against God himself. Now, again, don't take this as I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not, not trying to, to come down anybody. We need to examine our spiritual walls. What condition is your wall in? How solid are the gates of your life? So what are the walls? I, I'm going to describe four walls. Four walls are faith, your knowledge of God and his word, obedience, and Christ-likeness. Now, if you study those, there's a lot of overlap in those. Just like if you see a wall in a city or the walls around your house, they're all connected. You can't just have three of them, right? If you have three of them, you got a weird house, right? If you have two of them, it's even worse. You probably can't even hold the roof on with two of them. I guess, I suppose you could, Kevin could. So the reality is we need to recognize that, that we, need to, we need all four of these walls and they all four 
need to be strong. They need to be built up. We need to build up our faith. We need to build up our knowledge of God and his word. We need to build up our obedience. We need to build up our Christ-likeness. There's a lot of overlap, but they're not the same thing. What are the gates? There's four gates. Two eyes, two ears. The things we look at, the things we listen to, are what we allow into the gate. They are the gates inside of our walls, our spiritual walls, our relational walls, our emotional walls. If we are not guarding the gates of our eyes and ears, then we are opening the gates. You know, one of the accounts of the, of the city of Babylon is it was overthrown in the night. There were unguarded gates, and the enemy just walked in. Didn't fire an arrow, just walked in and overthrew the city. We must guard those gates. So how did the walls of Jerusalem get rebuilt? Well, we know, we've read this, we've read this account. You know, Nehemiah shows up, he inspires the people, they all rise up and build, it says. They rose up and build, and they did. And it was a, it's a beautiful story of community and, and, and faithfulness and, and, and getting the job done. People, you know, building the wall that was by their house and by their this and by their that. And, and different groups committing and coming together and joining together and doing this radical work. And all of them combined accomplished this great and wonderful task. But one, it was because one man responded to the call of God. One man responded, and this radical work got done. 52 days. It's amazing what God can do with a man who just says, yes. Yes, God. Whatever you want, I'll do it. There's a term that we use in the church to describe this idea of building our walls or, or rebuilding, you know, because, you know, we, we, we have to always be building and adding to our walls. But at the same time, there's some places where we sometimes let the walls fall, but we let them fall into decay and we need to rebuild. And the term that we use is discipleship. It's part of the mission of the church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus can't, no, nope, can't leave that, can't walk. Stay there. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the term make disciples, it's a single Greek word, but is in the form of a command. What does that mean? We're supposed to do it, right? Who is supposed to do it? The church. Who is the church? All y'all is the church. We're all supposed to do it. Where do we start? Right here. You got to start right here. You can't make a disciple if you ain't a disciple. Does that make sense? If you're not becoming a disciple yourself, you, you, you might be able to fake it and help somebody become a disciple, even if you're not one, but it's be kind of weird and hypocritical. God expects the church to be busy making disciples. 
It's one of the main reasons why this group exists, is, you know, is, is to make disciples of men, specifically men. Now, the reality is, is that who does God want to be disciples? Um, all nations, which implies all people in all nations, right? Would you acknowledge that? He wants all people to be disciples. And this is where I make a distinction. You've heard me make this distinction before, that, that there is a distinction between believers and disciples. A, dis, a believer is somebody who believes in Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven. They are going to heaven. A disciple has made a choice. Not only have they chosen to believe and are heaven bound, but they've chosen to follow Jesus, to be one of his disciples. All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. Some believers, they believe they're going to heaven, but there's no energy, there's no effort, there's nothing, they're not doing anything to grow in Christ's likeness. They're not doing anything to build any of their walls. They're not building their faith. They're not growing in, in their knowledge of God and his word. The, they, they will only obey if, you know, whatever reason they might choose to do it. And they are making no efforts to be like Christ. They're just going along. Very little difference between them and the world. The only difference is they're going to heaven. The rest of the world's not. That's a problem. That's a problem. If there's a man who is doing that, has, is a believer, and he's not doing anything to build his walls, here's the problem with that. That man will suffer. That man will experience the consequences of not, of not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's bad. But what's worse is that he makes everyone that he's called to lead vulnerable. When his walls are weak, anyone he's called to lead is vulnerable to attack. Now they can build their own walls and protect themselves, but if God's called him to lead, it's going to cost them something too. And we all know that. We've seen that. We've talked about that in this room. A disciple disciplines themselves to build up their walls and guard their gates. And we have to do that constantly. Because there are always influences surrounding us that are doing everything they can to tear down our walls and burn down our gates. A believer is passive. A disciple is active. So what do we do? How do we do it? How do we build our spiritual walls? If you've been around this ministry for any length of time, you, you, then you know what I'm about to say, or, or you've heard what I'm about to say. Most of you, some of you are, relative, are newer, and so you maybe you haven't heard this. But knowing is not doing. Do we know that? Knowing is not doing. You need to know to do, but just knowing doesn't mean you're doing. Nehemiah knew what needed to be done. But that meant nothing until he started the work. 
until he made that trip around the, around the city and examined it and then called the leaders together and told them what God had what called him to do until he did that and he encouraged them and exhorted them and helped them get the work done. Until he started doing that, it didn't matter what he knew. And the same thing is true for us. If it, just because you know what is true, if you're not doing it, it matters nothing. Biblical manhood has been under steady attack for a while. We know that. And many men's walls are developing gaps and sections are breaking down. We've seen that. I mean, it's obvious. We see that all around us. It may not be obvious to them what's going on, but if you're, if you're sensitive to these things, then you can see it. You understand it. You understand why, why it is the way that it is. And it breaks your heart. When you see it, you look at somebody and say, yeah, I, I, I see what's going on. And I understand why it's going on. A man whose walls are down looks more and more like the world and less and less like Jesus. And sometimes we don't even know there's a gap until an enemy marches in and takes part of our city. I had a personal experience with that this week. Someone did something, doesn't matter what, not in the church, in my personal life, and I wanted to react. Rick's flesh, and if you know me, it takes a lot to get me riled up. This person got me riled up bad. I wanted to say something. I spent hours thinking about the exact right words to say that I can cut you right straight to your heart but still sound like Jesus but every single time I thought of something to say I sense the Holy Spirit saying nope that's not what Jesus would say and then I started feeling that's not how we would feel that's not how we would think. It kept me awake. And nothing keeps me awake. And yet it kept me awake until one o'clock in the morning. Trying to come up with something. I know there is something I can say that will make me feel better and crush you and still sound like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit finally convinced me that it would be best if I didn't say anything, if I just let it go. Now, I'd love to say that I was healed of this. And I can look at that person who I see every single day and not feel what I'm feeling, but I'm not. There's gaps. There's a gap in my wall. There's a gap in my spiritual life that I know is there now. That I didn't really know was there last Saturday. I'm not like Christ. Not the way I should be. Because if I was like Christ, 
the, 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 the emotional battle that I've been engaged in for the last week, well, one would have ended a long time ago and would not have been as, as intense within my heart as it is. All of us have gaps. All of us have weak areas. All of us. There is no one, unless you are perfectly like Christ, we all have gaps. We all have weak points. We all have areas where God wants to make your wall stronger, your gate more fortified. All of us. But also, we may not be aware of them. As I wasn't aware of that one, I thought, there was nothing anyone can do to me or around me that is going to, you know, going to trip me up. Well, yeah, that was pride. That's another, another gap I got to deal with. There, there are, I'm going to describe four relationships and then we're going to call it a morning. Four relationships and I used to do this in three relationships. I added one for this message. Four relationships that we need in our lives. Every man needs in his life. Every man must have all four of these relationships. If he wants to continue to build and strengthen the walls of faith and 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 God and, and obedience and Christ-likeness. If we want to build all these walls, we need these different relationships in our lives to do that. The very first one is the Holy Spirit. All of us, you know, for me, uh, this, this conversation, I've had, it's been all been internal. It's all been in Rick. I've been processing it. I've been, I've been literally talking to God, the Holy Spirit, into until I finally fell asleep that night and then periodically on as I continue on. But we must have that ongoing conversation and dialogue with God, specifically with the Holy Spirit as we're trying to deal with these things. We're all in dwell with the Holy Spirit. God's in us. And, and his goal in our life is to do what? To make us holy. How holy? Like Jesus holy and that he's going to keep doing that work and when we reveal when he reveals to us the gaps and the breaks and the and the fallen down walls he says okay well let's get to work he doesn't condemn he never he never I never felt condemnation when I was going through this except the combination of my own making as I was recognizing what a wicked guy I was that I couldn't just let this go We need to spend that time. And, and I didn't, I wasn't in, you know, when I was having that conversation with the Holy Spirit, I wasn't, you know, on my face, you know, in some, you know, uber spiritual, you know, kind of a thing. I was just talking and arguing and negotiating and all the things you do to try to get your way in a circumstance, which what I was trying to do, trying to come up with a way that I could do what I wanted to do. And we just do that. But I did catch myself listening. And I think that's what ultimately helped me. As I, as I kept running out of things and I kept thinking of the things and hearing the voice, sensing, not hearing, but sensing, nope, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. I got to a place where I just got more still and I could listen. 
And we need that. We need to have that active dialogue with God. You know, Paul says, pray without ceasing. I believe that's what he's talking about, this active dialogue. If there's an opportunity when you're, when you, when you're paused from the busyness of life or a circumstance or a, di- a task and your mind goes somewhere, just go somewhere, that we ought to be lifting it up into the presence of God, interacting with God, talking to God about whatever it is. And, and the, more, the more natural that we can make that, the better. When, you know, when we take a sip of coffee, oh, thank you, God, for coffee beans. They are, they are gifts from heaven. You know, you know, things, just make it natural. Make it this, this like, if, if he was right here with you, what kind of things would you say to him? Because, you know, he is right here with you. We need to have our formal times of prayer and intercession and all of that. But it needs to be more natural than that. Second, so first relationship is the Holy Spirit. Second relationship is you need a Paul in your life. A Paul is someone who is spiritually more mature than you are. Somebody who's, who's been there, done that. And, and all of these, here's the key. Because a lot of guys can hear what I'm about to say. You need a Holy Spirit, you need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy. Oh, actually, that's this person, that's this person, that's this person. And you, you think about it. You'll think of them, who, the, who this person is. But let me ask you, what kind of a relationship do you have with them? Is it a real relationship? Is, it, is, there, is there intimacy? Is there, is, there, is, there, is there investment in that relationship? Or are they just acquaintances? Because if they're, more than, if they're, not just, if they're just acquaintances, that's not the right, that's not, that's not enough. You're not going to accomplish what you want to do with them. And this is where men are struggling the most right now. They're missing these relationships. They're doing. They're busy. You guys are here. I mean, we have a great crowd here this morning. You're busy. You're here. You're doing stuff. But is there something that you need that is more than that? It's not just about knowing someone more mature than you are. It's about having a relationship with them, a real living relationship with them. David and I have been meeting for, I don't know, years, 10 years, off and on sometimes, but sometimes very regularly. Right now we meet, we try to meet every Thursday morning and it's, and it is for discipleship. So that, so that, you know, that, he can grow in the areas he needs to grow. And a fascinating thing happens because he's a Timothy to me and, and I'm trying to be a Paul to him. As I'm ministering to him, guess who's ministering to me? He's ministering to me. The Holy Spirit is ministering through him to me. It's a radical thing that God does. You need the Holy Spirit active. You need a Paul, and you need a Barnabas. A Barnabas is a spiritual equal. They're in the same place spiritually that you are. You know, the, you know if, I, if I were to you know, describe you know, like a, a Kevin or a Randy for me, you know, we're, we're, we're spiritual friends. We're kind of in, in similar places spiritually. And I could describe probably others. I could list other people, but you know, be careful because you know, get all big-headed about it if I start saying, you're my friend. Just... Just be nice to me. That's all I want. 
We need friends. We need friends who are where we are spiritually. We need people that when we are dealing with something, that we can go to them. We need people in our lives that when, we're, when we're, we have a gap in our wall and we can't see it, but they can, that they'll come to us and say, hey, 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 your zipper's down, buddy. You know, they'll talk to us. They'll tell us. They'll be real with us. You know, one of the things, that, and, I, and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't lift myself up. I don't build myself up. But the reality is, as a pastor, people do lift me up. They, they, they have this, this weird, I shouldn't say weird, but they have this way of sometimes looking at me as like I'm somebody, um, if only they knew. Um, but the reality is, and, and, they'll, and so they'll treat me differently than they will. And so I need people in my life who won't do that. Who won't, who won't, who look, will look past the title. And for me, the title is just a tool I use for whatever I need it for and not that frequently. But I need people who don't, who don't see the title. They just see Rick. We all need that. We need people in our lives that just see us for what we are. We are a, just men of God. And we're just trying to be better. Again, it must be more than just an acquaintance. It must be something real. Fourth, we need a Timothy in our lives. And guys, I'm going to say something that may not, you may not agree with. But I think this is the big weakness in the church today. Is that there are not enough men who are looking for Timothys. Not enough men who are looking around and seeing there's somebody that needs to know Jesus better. Every disciple of Christ must eventually cooperate with the ministry of the church. What's the ministry of the church? Making disciples. Should not Every disciple be a part of that? Should not every disciple of Jesus Christ be involved in the work of making disciples? As men, I think that burden lands squarely on our shoulders. And I think every man should be looking for relationships where he sees someone around them and he sees in them something that God might want to do and he comes along that, uh, alongside that person and suggests, hey, let's spend some time together. It's one of my regular practices when you know somebody, somebody new, I, I wait for the Holy Spirit to say it to me, but sometimes God will say, you know, the you know, Holy Spirit will say it to me, hey, have coffee with that guy. You know, and, and I'll do it. I'll just have coffee with them. And sometimes that's all it is. I have had coffee with them and, and, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's enough. Other times he'll say, uh, you need to get to know this guy. You need to spend time with him. God wants to do something there. But you have to want to. It has to be something you desire. Guys, guys, we're here. We're men. We're called to be men. Men lead. Who do they lead? Whoever God puts in front of them. When we show up on a Sunday morning, do we show up 
intentionally, deliberately, seeking God's will, and seeing those people around us as someone that God wants to do something with, seeing them as someone whose walls may be down, but they don't know it. You may not even know it, but God might want to do something through you. Every disciple of Jesus Christ, and, and I would say, I think that's a fair description of, of all of you, with maybe one exception. I won't name you. Kidding. You're all, you're all solid, semi-solid. No, longer, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how long, there's someone who hasn't been walking as long as you. They have not gone as far as you. You know, some say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know enough. Well, do you know anything? Just start the relationship. See what God does. See where he takes it. These kinds of relationships don't just happen. We have to choose to do them. We have to examine our lives. Do I, have, do I have a living, vital relationship with the Holy Spirit? That one's key. You've got to have that one going. Do I catch myself having a conversation, dialoguing with God on the fly, on a regular basis? If not, I should start working on that. I encourage guys, if you're struggling, you know, some of you guys have heard me say this, I've, I've encouraged you to do it. If you're struggling kind of keeping God kind of at the forefront, you know, I've made suggestions like taking a three by five card, writing a verse on it and sticking it in your pocket before you leave home. And then every, all through your day, what are you going to do? You're going to stick your hand in that pocket. You're going to feel it. It's going to be there and it's going to remind you. Do something that reminds you to talk to God. Whatever it might be, set an alarm on, well, okay, maybe not set an alarm on your phone, that would be weird. That, you know, every, every three minutes, this alarm's going to go off and tell me to think about God. If building up your spiritual walls is important, which it is, then you need to proactively develop each of these relationships. Find someone. And, and, and it doesn't matter who they are. Well, ultimately it does, but it doesn't matter who you start with. Because if you are faithful to look, God is faithful to bring. And so you just keep going. And if, and like I said, if I have a, a, a cup of, if I have a coffee meeting with someone and God doesn't kind of start something, okay, what do I do? I go find the next one. And the next one, and the next one, waiting for God to open a door to something else. And if you ever want to have coffee, just let me know. I'd love to have coffee with any of you. Nehemiah knew what needed to be done, and he rose up and got to work. Men, look around. Look around this world. If you can look around this world and not see men in absolute despair, absolute spiritual poverty, with walls that have been down for a long time and it doesn't break your heart, then God still has some work to do in you. I believe the Spirit would say to each of us, rise up and build. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. 
And I pray for each of these guys as they, as they sit here and listen to this, I pray, Lord, if we've got areas in our life, parts of our wall that are broken down, that we would, that we would start doing that work of, of, of allowing you to build or rebuild those things, that our faith, our knowledge of you and your word, our obedience and our Christ-likeness, Lord, that we build these things up. And at the same time, that we would guard the gates of our, of our, of our lives our eyes and our ears, that we would not allow anything into our lives that is going to get in the way of that rebuilding, that we would focus our, our efforts on becoming more like your son, Jesus. And I pray for these men. We've talked about these relationships, and I pray that whether they have none of them or they have all of them, that you continue to work on helping them to, to nurture those relationships, grow those relationships, and to develop them into something that is real and living. Because I believe, Lord God, that, that the men of the church, um, we need to be together. We need to be connected. We need to be growing together. And by doing so, it grows not just the church, but the families of the church, and it reaches out and touches the community around that church. And so I pray. I pray for this church. I pray for these men, Lord God, a mighty move of your spirit within us, Lord, that we would sense your presence so powerfully and have that passionate desire to see your men grow up and become mighty men of God, starting with us individually, me individually, that you continue to grow my faith. And I thank you for this week, Lord, how as much as I hated what was going on, I, I thank you, Lord God, that you helped me to see what, you know, the weakness in my faith, the, the area of my, my, my wall that had a gap. And I know that if I, can, if I can just sit back and allow your spirit to do the work that you want to do, that I will be stronger and that my faith will grow and that will reach out and touch everyone who's in my life. And so I thank you, Lord God. I also just want to lift up this ministry and I pray, Lord, that uh, whatever next week brings and the weeks after that, Lord God, that it be something that glorifies you, blesses you, grows faith and sees men growing toward that Christ-like um, biblical manhood, Lord God, that we might regain what this culture has stripped away from us over the years and that we might be a shining light on the hill and that others would come to know you through our faith and our desire to see your, your truths manifested in our lives, through our lives, and out of this church. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We lift up this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. 
You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Thank you.